Metaverse. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode 70 of Stacked Podcast. Um, we're back. We're 70% of the way to Ethan's story that he's going to tell us. <laughs> we are not far Only away. 30 episodes. We, we, like, we made that commitment a while ago. And <laughs> we're going to get forgetting. that story this year. We're going to get yeah, it this year. That story is going public, Ethan. How do you feel about that? Oh. <laughs> I, I I didn't Better, forget Ethan. I uh, never forget. May, maybe I'm kind of glad we don't have a lot of listeners then. <laughs> what if we blow up because know. of that? Yeah. What if we blow up from that one episode? And yeah. Then... All the butthole fetishes come in, and be like, oh, something like that. I don't know. Sorry, was that a little vulgar? I don't know. You'll find what out in episode 100 if it was vulgar. Little teaser. Little yeah. teaser. Little, little, little tease. Um. Yeah, they get a little tease for 70, episode 70. There's 70 percent of their way there. Uh, yeah. All right. So we are episode 70 is stacked. We are not the episode. We are just recording it. <laughs> uh, I are, am uh, episode 70. I am episode 70. I am Totino's. I was family. episode 69. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> the blankest stairs. The blankest. All right. So for this episode, uh, with we're, we got um, the hit movie Scream coming in theaters this week. This week, I'm weekend? so excited, bro. Scream, aka Scream Five. Right, it's the fifth one. Scrafium. Scrafium. Well, they it should have co- been five eem. You know. Oh yeah, they they did when they did the fourth one. They put the four where the e is, and everybody called it Scraforum. Oh, it'd be five cream. Five cream. No. Five cream. Five cream. Yeah, but this movie will make cream five times. Five cream. Uh, and that's a very meta franchise that sort of deconstructs the uh, the slasher genre. So today here on Stacked, we're going to talk about films that are meta. And um, what is a what is it what does it mean to be a meta film? That's really the question we're going to try to answer on this episode today. Um. Cause I feel like there's a lot of, lot a lot of different kinds of films can be meta. You know, you got parodies, you got um, fourth wall breaking films, you got films that are self reflexive upon the fi- art, the art form of film itself. You know, there's so many different things. So guys, I want to ask you guys, what was your sort of process in making a film, and that, like, what do you consider that to to be meta? You know, Brandon, what do you what, what was your thought process? Well, I feel like the most obvious trait of a uh, a meta film is one that breaks the fourth wall. You know, so that's like the easiest place to start. And as you start yeah. deconstructing it, it's like, well, they don't have to break the fourth wall in order for it to be meta. You can be self-reflexive like the screen movies and kind of subvert the genre in some way by commenting on it or like new nightmare one of our final stacks that we can't choose i know i was so sad i couldn't choose that one yeah it would have been on my stack no it's a good meta film you know and the way this differs from movies about making movies is because it's kind of like opens up the world to like other things you know about filmmaking and about like techniques regarding storytelling yeah um and you kind of just have to work your way backward from the most basic definition like the only kind of films there are meta documentaries, but like just because people talk to the camera and break the fourth wall doesn't mean they're meta films. So you don't obviously 90% of the time you're not going to include a documentary, but there are some documentaries that do comment on themselves. So, yeah. 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 Chris, what about you? How did you make a meta stack? Huh? For me, I decided to kind of just have fun with this one. I oh no, bumped in three very different. God ways. damn it! Yeah, so, I'm excited. Hey, I'm the I wild can't. card. What can I say? He's I always the wild card. S- He's always throwing those curveballs. So I can't wait for so. like Sally Gardner at the Gallup, bro. Part two. <laughs> oh, so we'll see. But yeah. I, yeah, this will be a fun one. I am excited oh, to share yeah. some of these. I do think I kept it. I don't think I, I I don't think I went to Sally Gardner levels of oh, thank wild cardiness, but <laughs> oh, I think you. I still think you know I I, you, I can make an argument I can make a decent argument for some of these. I can make um, a pretty decent pretty decent argument. Yeah, but yeah, we'll see. So all right, well I'm we sort of a combination of both of yous. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but of course, before we get into our picks. Once a week, we set a topic or theme and instruct our own three-film stack. Then at the end of the show, we'll mix and match nine films, make the own decision what quintessential three-film stack we are... I, I'm not even looking at the notes right now. I'm 
you know how this show works. I don't care anymore. Uh, I'm going first. Um, so we chose the, the original film in this franchise for a final stack for origin stories. And I feel like I couldn't leave this guy out oh, for talking about God. meta stuff. So I'm choosing I'm choosing Deadpool 2 for my first one uh, of this meta episode. Because I feel like Deadpool 2 has been forgotten. You know, no one really thinks about Deadpool yeah. 2 anymore. And I think it's a, I think it's a great film. I think it's not, it's nowhere near as good as the first one, but I think it's pretty solid. It's, um, you know, the first one's pretty meta in terms of, uh, the superhero genre itself. But, um, I feel like Deadpool 2, it's even more meta in the sort of franchisiness of it all, you know, mm-hmm. um, in what does it mean to be a sequel to a superhero film and, sort of that is reflected upon Wade Wilson's journey through like losing, uh, well, with his girlfriend getting fridged, which is probably my least favorite thing in the movie. But, um, also I like the meta narrative of him having to compete with the movie Logan, you know, he's sort of like, he wants, he like has to compete with like Hugh Jackman and his grand finale out like that. So he's like trying to, uh, have a good death in this film, you know, and everything like that. I just think it's good. It's like, um, putting Deadpool in a weird situation of him dealing with a, like a kid um, and having to deal with cable and stuff like that. And I just, it's a fun film. It's really fun. You know, it's nothing, it's nothing groundbreaking like the first one, but I just think it's a good meta film. So that's why I'm choosing Deadpool two as my first one. What do you guys think? It's a good choice. I mean, the Deadpool movies are, and for that matter, his character as a comic book character is like one of the most meta and I feel like influential out there. You have to point him out in terms of like his impact. I feel like because like Deadpool mainstreamed fourth wall break for mainstream audiences. I feel like because before I feel like you could like point out any French new wave that was experimenting with style and talking to the camera as like those were like the pioneers of fourth wall breaking and that way metaism. But after I feel like it, it's just. You, you know, people really weren't, who weren't into film or into, like, comic books, like, really knew about metaisms. So yeah. this is definitely a good choice. I, I don't think the second one's nearly as good of a film. I feel like it uh, almost no, over... I feel like it overdoes it almost. Like, it, it knows too much of what it is, and because of that, it's overindulgent kind of drowns it. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely something that you need to recognize with the Deadpool movies because it's a good movie. It's not, but it's not a great movie. So, yeah, Chris, what do you think about Deadpool too? I definitely think like I, I kind of fall in with the same way as you guys, and I think that's kind of the same as everyone else. Where it's like Deadpool two is not, at least to me, it's not the, it doesn't reach the same highs as the first film does. But I do think this is a very fun movie for what it was. I perfectly enjoyed it. It was. It felt like just more of what I want, what I got from the first one, um, and just a bit more wild. There's a lot more of these like fun antics that he gets into, and just he like, kills you know, baby yeah, Hitler. Yeah, there's a lot. Like yeah, at the end he, <laughs> he does some time traveling and you know oh, kills yeah. kills old like X Men Origins Wolverine Deadpool. He there's kills Ryan stuff. Reynolds for reading the yeah, Wolverine script. For, yeah, for reading the, reading the script and. Yeah, there's, there's just a lot of like little like things like that that just like make this a really fun adventure, especially if you're, you know, someone who followed along with everything that's going on with the X Men universe and everything. Like, I love that there's a whole like there's a shot where you just see the entire Dark Phoenix cast together. Yeah, and then it's just like, what the f- oh, okay, what? bye. <laughs> like, like they probably were just filming at the same time and just had them come in during break or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, it was a lot of fun. Um, I definitely see why you would pick this for a meta film because, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Deadpool is a perfectly meta comic book character. Probably the most meta comic book character. Um, yeah, makes sense to me. Alrighty, Well, there's my first pick. Uh, Brandon, let's go on to you with your first meta film. So I'm going to do one that you guys may or may not have seen. It's a 1979 film by Albert Brooks. It's called Real Life. No, I haven't seen it. I, no. I, I know Albert Brooks, though. He's a fucking Marlin. The fucking the <laughs> the clownfish. That fish motherfucker. For finding Nemo, yeah. Nemo! He's also a Nemo! comedian and a director. And this movie uh, is about a family or 
a documentarian who goes to Arizona uh-huh. to film a real family's life and day-to-day for a documentary. So, yeah. of course, it's kind of a – it's like a – it's a spoof film, like a la something you'd see like this is Spinal Tap. Yeah. But it's like – the way it's pitched, if you and you, the way it's shown, it doesn't feel like it's like a, like a spoof. Like it feels like it could very well be a documentary in the lives of these real people, but mm-hmm. it's so ridiculous because of the way that Albert Brooks and everybody ask. And Albert Brooks is pe- playing himself, by the way, in oh, the movie. Really? He's not just the director; like he's in the movie, and like, so the way it's shown is like very meta because. The guy who is directing the movie is playing himself, directing a real documentary or seemingly real. But in fact, it's not, you know, and just seeing like the family interact and like seeing what an average American family is really like is really funny because sometimes it's like nothing happens for days and then something catastrophic happens and like they all catch it on camera and they're like are we allowed to do this is this like breaking the privacy of this family and they're like we don't care it's good for us and like sure it falls apart in the back half but i feel like it's meta in a way that you don't really see that often yeah where it comments on a genre presents this movie as if it's a real documentary when it is in fact not so and Mm -hmm. it just works so well so yeah it's a good movie whoa that's brandon that's meta that sounds like a meta film yeah i i'm I'm, albert brooks is like he's been a big blind spot of me i know a lot of people uh a lot of our peers love love that dude in his films i remember i remember there's like this over the summer everyone went through like an albert brooks kick where they started watching all of his films and I haven't seen any of them. And this sounds pretty cool. Like, I don't know. Chris, what do you think? I have never even heard of this guy, but I've seen a lot of the movies he act, he's acted in. Um, or voiced, at least. But yeah, he his stuff looks really cool. I'm looking at it on Letterboxd right now. Um, yeah, the real, I'm reading the real life uh, like stuff on Letterboxd, and it looks hella good. It's pretty funny. Um, like, they kind of... It, it's a good comedy pick, too. Because, like, if it is commenting on this documentary and real-life families and, like, how people actually are when they're not presenting themselves as, like, these perfect people on TV, I love mm-hmm. it. And, of course, I have that hometown element, too, because it's in Phoenix, Arizona. So Right. That's sure. true. That's <laughs> true. All right. Um, Chris? All right. What's your first uh, film? Ooh, which one should I do first? I'll do my fun one first. Um, all right. To all of our guests out there. I suggest you buckle your seatbelts because things are about to get pretty fast and furious. No. What? I pick, I'm picking F9. F9? <laughs> You're right. This is a meta film. Talk about it. Oh, my God. So, God, okay. This movie, well, okay, before I get into all that, let's, like, this movie is Beep, truly I something else. I, I genuinely didn't think that this series could go further but not only in F9 do they go further, but they the seal like the ceiling for these movies has like extended beyond the skies now. They li- spoiler alert if you if you really care about the Fast and Furious movies, um, they go to space in this one. Um, so, but yes, everybody knows the whole Fast and Furious thing. But what makes this movie so meta? So, I like I would at least like to think that. This is the film in the franchise where everybody from the cast to the crew to the fans completely knew that this, this was getting ridiculous. And, but I think they did a great good job of recognizing that and relishing in that. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, there's enough of that quote-unquote family melodrama that finds its way into the scenes between action sequences. Um, so if that's your jam, it's there. But for me, I just like to have fun with these movies and... I don't know about you guys, but I've had the time of my life watching this movie. Um, it takes itself seriously enough that it's not completely hollow, but not so seriously that it's devoid of any of the humor. Uh, throughout the film, the characters do the most physically impossible things and shrug it off. Um, and yeah, they laugh at how stupid it was. There's a whole ongoing joke throughout the movie uh, where Roman points out how indescribably lucky they are that they have survived all the things they've been through over the years. Um, and the audience is the butt of the joke. The entire time 
anytime that Roman Pierce is pointing that out, it's kind of like you can feel that everyone's just kind of pointing at the audience for that. Um, and yeah, it, it's fun as fuck. I think it's really great. Um, it's a, not a great movie, but it services, services itself well. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? Um, I feel like this is a different kind of meta. And it's out of the box, but it's not dismissible out of hand. Because it's meta in the case that even though characters don't fourth wall break... It is self-reflexive, but it's a different kind of self-reflexive where it's not commenting on the art or the art itself. It's commenting on the fans and the fans also being a participant in the process. Like not in a way that feels like as much as these movies can be like fan servicey and pandering, like it feels like a natural extension of what the franchise is because of how ridiculous it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, Everybody was saying when the eighth one came out, The Fate and the Furious, they're like, what are they going to go to space next? And everybody's been pitching that since at least the seventh one or something. And they actually freaking did it, you know? Not that everybody, anybody actually believed they were going to fucking do it, but they did it anyway. And not only that, but they comment on multiple IP throughout the movie that are real so life. Much, so much. Remember that one real Was it about Star Wars? About Star Wars, yeah. There was stuff... Sure. Charlize Theron and John Cena. And then they talk about it for so long. And then there was that scene where at the end where they're in space and there's the mignon. mignon. And that's commenting on the universal property, you know? So it's like, not only that, it's having a conversation with, a meta conversation with like studio works and like big Hollywood blockbusters and stuff. As much as those can be. Although I don't think the film itself is reflexive. I think the way it communicates with a fan base is in a way that like it's like the MCU and DCEU is aren't. You know what I mean? Because yeah. those films can be reflexive, but for the most part, I feel like they take them so seriously and leave their references down to like more like things that would have to do with the plot rather than it just being out of left field. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, I um, This movie does bully you for not <laughs> these movies and i think that's really funny like the characters point and laugh at you if you're a hater you know and you got oh i'm to- a hater but i i i enjoy them yeah and it's just it's something you got to commend because i don't think franchise really explicitly do that to you except you know? for matrix four or five whatever you call it um oh. Oh. uh yeah i think this movie is pretty fucking funny um, I think this movie's not good, but I think it's very fucking funny. I think adding John Cena to this this world was the one of the best decisions they've ever made. Yes, you know, yeah. I think it's I think it's even better than it's the Rock. Stupid, but it's good. Cause like the John Cena, the peep master himself, the man who loves <laughs> to peek through small holes. <laughs> oh. This this is the movie where it all started. You yeah, know? that's when like well, the trend technically and... his first peep was, "Are you sure about that?" As he comes through that hole, but yeah. this is the one where he's just he's peeping through the bar. And he's going, "Oh," and I remember Chris. Do you remember when we saw that in theaters? We lost our fucking minds when they're they're ca- like the family is talking. The they cut talking. Yeah. and they, the they whole cut theater back to John was in Cena on the joke too. Yeah, yeah. It was Dude, just like when they cut to the shot of Cena, like like uh, what's it like? I guess um like envious and looking through that hole and being like, I wish I had that family. <laughs> yeah. And then everyone's just like, John <laughs> <laughs> I feel <laughs> like it's, I think it's funny because it's like, we've known about the Toretto family for like the longest time. Like eight of the nine movies are like pretty much, or seven of the nine are like about the Toretto's. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then there's like, they're like oh of course there's nothing more that could be revealed and they're like a secret brother oh yeah he has a brother by the way (laughs) but and his brother is like the same type of person that he is like exactly except just opposite because they have to be foils you know yeah and of course he's like a a super secret agent like (laughs) yeah master but but you didn't hear about that before (laughs) because no you didn't it's like a saw movie it's like a saw movie (laughs) yeah it really is like a saw movie yeah it is Oh my well, yeah. god. F9. That's my first F9. Pick. All right. Well, let's get into my uh second pick here and actually Brandon, you you mentioned it earlier. Um yeah. 
briefly. This is this is a movie I just watched that I found its meta narrative to be quite taste quite quite tasteful in terms of uh like modern blockbuster and modern capitalist filmmaking and that is Lana Wachowski's Matrix Resurrections. Like this was a very big surprise of a film for me. Um Me too. I I you know, I like the first Matrix. I like the Animatrix. I think the sequels are not good. Not a fan. But um Uh but uh yeah, this one came, just kind of came out of left field for me. Um specifically in this one plot point of Neo sort of dealing with uh so okay, okay, Chris, I, you haven't seen it, right? Can I? Are you no. planning on seeing it? Have you seen the Matrix sequels? I've only seen the first one. Okay, um. that's fine. So I'll, I'll get into it. So like, <laughs> so like, after like, Matrix Resurrection or after Matrix Revelations, is that it? Revolutions? Mm, is it revolutions or revelations? It's, re- it's revolutions. Revolutions, revelations. That's pretty biblical. Uh, Neo Neo fucking dies, Trinity dies, and like it seems like the day has been saved. And but, it's all over. And it's all over. But in reality Damn, those look good. Where'd you get Damn, so where'd you find oh, those? Okay. Um She got donuts. Anyways, um you think it's all over, but then you see you the beginning of the movie starts as the beginning of the movie to the first matrix, and you're like, What the hell is going on? This is beat for beat. Like it's just the same same well, story but just different characters but then a, you start it, but there's little changes here and there you know and then you start to see more characters come in you're like wait they weren't in the original and then and then you start to see that um in this new matrix movie neo was saved like before dying and he is now living in a matrix where he is the creator of his past memories as a video game so the matrix his memories are like a matrix video game series you which know? are like heavily like real, you know, where it's like yeah, where it like ties into real life, where like there's a Warner Brothers making Matrix games and movies and stuff yeah. like that, and, and yeah, it's it's super it's super interesting how Lana Wachowski is able to now talk about her franchise through this story of Neo being like the developer of these games, mm-hmm. because it's now she's able to put a bit more ownership on. Um, how in the original it is like it is a trans allegory you know it is a sort of uh a movie about uh perception of yourself versus the perception of others and becoming who you want to be you know who you you, who you truly are versus how like people see you and judge you you know um so now she's taking the story of like of like becoming a trans person and now she's taking that turning into from becoming to like surviving as one and like living in a world and facing uh the trauma of how it's hard for trans storylines to be told in a capitalist film industry because it they become violated and serialized and commercialized you know so like neo is struggling with becoming his like powerful self again because he feels like he's his story has been violated you mm-hmm. know by, by these video games Mm-hmm. and it's super crazy and super interesting i've never seen a modern blockbuster talk about this kind of stuff and it blew my mind it's i don't think it's a, a, an amazing movie i don't think it's a great movie because i think it still has some Wachowskiisms. like i think the acting fucking kind of sucks in this movie i'm not gonna lie um and i think the pacing's a little a little bad and towards the later half but i think it presents some really cool ideas that made a really memorable film for me so brandon you've seen matrix resurrections what do you think i don't like the other matrix movies ethan knows this i haven't seen animatrix yet but the first matrix is just okay and the sequels are not good they're very convoluted and the action in reloaded is good but the movie itself is not like it tries too hard to go into the philosophy it does give a lot of good world building but in terms of a movie it's not very good but and when you get to resurrections this is the first matrix movie that i've like loved and I think the reason for that is, is it kind of nails, like what Ethan said, like this commentary on like real life. It feels like a scream movie, but for action movies instead of like horror slasher. 
and it's even more direct, which is why it might piss people off, I think. I don't know how people could hate the movie. I'm actually more surprised that fans like it because it seems like it's more so disowning the movies that came before. Not saying it does entirely because it embraces aspects of those stories, but it's honestly like distancing itself from some of the creative choices that may have been controversial via like studio interference, though those films do feel like auteurist visions in themselves. However, I just the the reason why it's funny that you bring it up is I was buying Annihilation today at Best Buy as I was coming home from Tragedy of Macbeth. Yeah. And I got into conversation cuz the guys like, "Oh, have you seen this movie?" And I was like, "Yeah, I really like it." He's like, "Yeah, I really like like science fiction that like the audience sort of has to think about." And he, then he asked me if I'd seen Matrix Resurrections and we had like a whole conversation about it with at the checkout counter. He was like, "Yeah, I I really liked it. Like a lot of people don't seem to, but I think it's kind of good." And one of my friends uh, from my work doesn't like it. Shout out, Vin. Sorry. Um, he thinks he th- he thinks it's really boring and bland, and I can totally understand that because yeah. whenever they go to Zion, it does slam on the brakes quite a bit. Yeah. But but I think the conception of the idea is really good, and I think it ties together a lot of things, and it actually gives characters. Spoiler alert, a somewhat happy ending, which feels almost right in a franchise such as The Matrix, which is so cold and distant. It's nice to have like such a warm story that isn't so drab anymore. You know, it doesn't feel like it's bathed in the greens and blues of what the original was, where it was like all gray and disgusting and PS2 video game. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I quite enjoyed this pick. Chris, what do you think? So I, I've, I've, heard a, I've heard a little bit about, like, you know, the, like, people singing the praises of this film and talking about, like, what it's really saying, you know? Because, like, um, I've heard people talking about, like, this is, like, yeah, it's a larger commentary about, like, the state of the industry and how certain stories are privileged over others and things like that. But, you know, having not seen the film, I can't really add to that conversation. But, I mean, that sounds like... That sounds pretty fucking cool that, like, they, like, um, was it Lily or Lana who directed this one? It was Lana. 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 Um, it was pretty cool to me that Lana was able to, like, interweave that into, like, like, what I assume is also just an action film. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's, um, I, I think it's great. Uh, I think that's a great thing. Uh, I can't say I have seen it, um, but open to it. Um, do I need to see the other two? You just need to know that they died in the third one. I think that's it. Because I've seen I the third I one. Didn't know, I, didn't, I didn't know they died. Okay. That's fine. The, I guess, guess what? I didn't know they died either because I watched the third one after I got my booster. And I was so tired I fell asleep halfway through the film. And I woke up at, I woke up during the credits. I was like, huh? <laughs> and I was like, I, uh, I, don't, I guess it won't matter. So then I popped up the fourth one. I'm like, oh, so they died. <laughs> The thing is, Chris, is they actually utilize a lot of footage from the original movies to, like, catch people up. Because I feel like they made the movie assuming people hadn't seen more than the first one. Because that's how you can make a financially, like, viable product like this. Because The Matrix is, like, a very niche property. And it's honestly more memeable than it is, like, good, in my opinion. Um, Until this one, that is. I think this... These have good philosophy points, but... You know. Yeah. No, I, I, I see that. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Matrix Resurrections. Pleasant surprise. Uh, Brandon, let's go to your number yes. two. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. All right. My number two is going to be a film that's meta in of itself, but not meta to the audience. I'm going with one of my favorite movies. I just got it today on Blu-ray. Stranger Than Fiction. Starring Uh, Will Ferrell. Yeah. So this movie is a film following a, like, IRS person uh, played by Will Ferrell named Harold Crick. And he's, like, living, like, this normal, lonely life. And then one day he begins to hear a voice in his head, a woman narrating his everyday life. Like, everything he does... The words he talks, like the dialogue he speaks, essentially, and it's like if you're going, he thinks he's going crazy. He thinks he's schizophrenic, 
because of it but in actuality within the world of the film or outside of the realm of the film there's a woman who's writing a book or a screenplay can't remember one of the two and she's writing it about this guy's life and character but she's going through writer's block and she needs a hit you know she needs a hit so the film is very much a commentary on storytelling in general it's also meta in the world as the guy can actually hear this woman speaking his everyday life yeah and i love stories like this that kind of interweave and make you question your reality or reality and perceptions of reality mm-hmm. and it's very existential in that way that a lot of films that are meta can be that way but they can also be very intellectually stimulating as well as they kind of engage the viewer into thinking about all these things uh i feel like the film is very emotionally grounded and that's kind of what makes it it's definitely not like your deadpool where you're talking to like you're breaking the fourth wall all the time but it's definitely one that you've got to keep an eye on if you haven't seen it yet it's very underrated in my opinion it has been a long while since I've seen this film. Um, and I remember it being good. Uh, Will Ferrell puts in a hell of a performance. This was like his first dramatic role, right? I feel like it was like one of his first. I don't know if it was his first. but One of his first was. and like only. I can't really name another dramatic role that he's done outside of this. You know? But, I mean... I mean, uh-huh. um, no. So, I mean, I love it when films play with like sort of the ideas of determinism. Even though I'm, I don't really subscribe to those theories myself. I still think it's fun to play that out in a film because it is. Films are sort of deterministic stories because you know it, they are written out plots that have things happen and have that sort of come in hand. Have characters recognize that within the film, sort of, sort of cool. Um, I honestly don't really remember much that happens in this movie because it's been so long. I'm sorry. Um, but I have seen it. I remember liking it, uh, and I need to check it out again. Chris, have you seen this film? No, I know that this is very high on Brandon's like just rank, like overall movie rankings. This is like in double digits territory, which is very very ooh, well high but low. If you know what, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, so I know that Brandon adores this movie. It's. I've read like the log line a couple of times. I didn't know that he literally hears her voice, but yeah, that sounds cool. I like that. I think it, it's. Uh, I don't know why, but Brandon, would you say this movie's kind of Truman Show esque? Absolutely. In, in that way, I, I would say it's structured similarly. It's definitely like a different situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but like it, it feels similar in like aspects. I think. Hmm. I have more of a personal connection to Truman Show because I watched that when I was much younger. But I feel like this movie's cooler because it's like having a commentary with itself. Whereas Truman Show, I don't know if it necessarily is. I just feel like it's a more complete and more emotionally resonant movie on a character level. Because that movie's not really meta. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's meta in what it's tackling, but not meta in like the way it has a conversation with its characters. I think it's yeah. meta because I think it's meta on sort of tackling reality TV culture. Yeah, well, it's also just meta in like and entertainment and like in metaphysical way. It's, it's a really different. Hard. It's a different kind of meta yes. than Stranger Than Fiction. That's all I'll say. But I feel like it's yeah. It's still okay. Meta. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Cool film. All right, Chris, throw us another wild card, why don't you? What's your all next right. pick? Uh, I like to think of this movie and its relationship to the meta pit, to the meta stack as an origin story for twenty twelve the social media type that is now called meta. Oh, no. What you're picking They're social network? T- I, I'm picking social network because meta. Because you know meta. <laughs> that is pretty clever, but no. Um, that is- it's just so, a biopic. It's yeah. just a biopic. That's it's pretty meta. Okay. But I will. I'll get into. I'll get into the meta ness of all that. I feel like Bohemian but, Rhapsody is more meta than this. <laughs> I'm changing my fi- Bohemian. Yes. <laughs> um, no. I, so yes, Social Network. I mean, you probably we've all everyone who's listening probably has seen this movie, but it tells the story of Mark Zuckerberg and the very twisted story of the founding of Facebook. Um, I'm certain many creative liberties were taken with this adaptation, but on a whole, I think it nails that narcissistic Zark Mark Fuckerberg really well. Zark Mark Fuckerberg. Um, it's a yeah, it's a wildly fascinating narrative on friendship, enterprise, egotism, 
And it's very compelling, I mean, courtesy of um, the direction of Fincher and Aaron Sorkin's always amazing scripts. Um, I highly recommend anyone to watch this because I think this is a really great movie for like pretty much anyone who's like, I don't know, 16 and up, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so why did I pick this for meta movies other than to make that joke? Um, frankly, not much else, but there is an angle on this I do want to like explore. So as you guys know, well, I don't know, this, this is just kind of my excuse to also talk about this, but you guys, you guys know about like Facebook, well, meta launching the quote-unquote metaverse soon yeah you know about yeah. all this yeah so yeah. you know if anyone who doesn't know it's meta is launching this like metaverse which is basically a digital frontier kind of like tron and ready player one type thing um where people can live and enjoy a dimension completely separated from their own the walmart technology. vr chat shit exactly the and walmart the, oh my god and there's <laughs> Talks about Elon Musk developing neural linking technology. <sighs> what? Uh, we're going might. too far, bro. So I don't know. If we're, we're probably taking this too far, um, but all of that will change the face of the film industry, but also the world as a whole. If that happens, um, it's not, yeah. And but knowing, yeah. But like for me, I the way the reason that I picked this for Meta is because like knowing that this is kind of where the direction of this company is going. And all of that, at least through the basis of this movie, starting with a pretentious like Harvard student yeah. writing Erica Albright's a bitch online is uh-huh. kind of amazing to me. And I like to think of this as like an origin story for what may reshape our world into the future. And that's kind of meta, is it not? Whoa. Anyway, <laughs> think about it. What do you guys think? That, I don't that, know. That is so fucking weird. Like, all this technology shit is going to happen because some weirdo dirtbag, like, wanted to rag on his ex online, you know? That's fucking weird. I kind of respect it. Just kidding. You respect that? <laughs> Brandon, Brandon's a Zuckerberg <laughs> You're an animal, Brandon. Oh, my God. Animals okay, that is pretty meta them. now that you mentioned it. Like, it's an origin story for our future. But, I okay, I'm going to, I don't think any of this shit's going to work. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't, I don't don't buy into this shit. I don't don't, know about the neuralink stuff, but I do, I do think the VR technology is not, is not to be underestimated. Yeah. I mean, I I don't think, what is ever Elon Musk shit ever work besides like Tesla's, even those like blow up. SpaceX does good. They've landed rockets. They've landed a few, but they sometimes blow up (laughs) like a lot. I mean, yeah, but like a pro- trial and error, you know? I guess. Trial and I don't error know. With, with space travel, I guess. I don't. I still don't understand those fucking tunnels. <laughs> Dude, they, there's traffic jams. In there's already. traffic jams in the tunnels. That's what they were meant to not do. Uh, oh my god. Yeah, Meta boys, meet me in the Meta Walmart. All right, let's. I'm gonna get tell you you have guys. too Let, much milk. Boys, meet people, me in the Meta bubblegum shrimp. <laughs> people are already buying. Digital land. Like, you can do real estate already. Digital land? You can buy land digitally, and you can... It's like, And you know how you know how they verify if it's yours? How? It's, it's, it's possessed as an NFT. So, no. the future is coming, everybody. The future oh. is alive today. The future and is here. The, the futurist is here, everyone. He, he sees all. You go grab your meta Walmart. You go talk to him. You go talk to him. You go talk to the Zuck. You go grab your fucking VR goggles. You strap. You go talk to him. (laughs) You go go talk to Mark Zuckerberg. (laughs) Uh, Okay, I like this. It is meta. I don't. All right, tell us why. I I mean, the movie as a whole isn't tackling that. At least with Fast and the Furious, (laughs) like it's tackling that on an exterior and interior level. Open your mind to the meta man. Ah. No. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I think this movie is a straight up biopic. There's nothing really meta <laughs> about it because it came out in 2011 Brandon, when this the, stuff was like happening. Brandon. Brandon no, no, no. It, it, it's listen, about listen. The founding Brandon, meta. I'm aware. I'm aware. Hey. I'm aware. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> it came out while this shit was happening. How is it commenting on it when it's like not even like. 
because privy to the information. That's how it's so because, meta. That's why it's so meta because it's in the that's past, so not the present. Because it doesn't that's even crazy. know. But that's just any it, movie. You that's, that's just any it movie. Knew. That would make every movie meta. You can read. But then it's, cinema is a meta is a meta art form, man. <laughs> I liked yeah, your, I, I liked your social, pick, Chris. Yeah, Thank you. I liked it. All right, let's get into the final round here. Um, starting with my last pick. Now, I've been saving this movie for a certain topic, but uh, we haven't done it yet, so I'm letting out on this one. Um, this is by far my favorite meta sequence in all of cinema. Brandon, can you guys guess what it is? Can you guess? I'll tell you in three, two, one. It is a Jim Henson film. I'll tell no. you that. No. Brandon, the Great Muppet Caper, is an amazing meta film. It's a good film. It's a let good me break down. Yeah, Muppet movies are all meta, though. So. No, but this one, this one, I chose this for meta movies to represent all the other Muppet movies because it has such a great sequence that represents how meta the Muppets are. So. There's a sequence where... At the beginning of the movie? No, it's when he's arguing with Miss Piggy in the park. Oh, that's Dude. a good sequence. It's oh, a good yeah. fucking sequence, yeah. right? Yeah, where I remember that. They're arguing. Um, Kermit is playing Kermit the Frog, the reporter, arguing with Miss Piggy um, about her li- her having lied to him, you know, about being Lady Valentine. And they're arguing, they're arguing, and then in the middle of the argument, with the same energy, Kermit's like, why are you overacting? Like, they sort of, they break the scene, and Kermit and Miss Piggy start acting as themselves about how their characters are being portrayed, and then they start interact. they start arguing about their relationship, like, outside the frame of the film, and then they, like, they go into that, and then they apologize, and then they sort of make up in the film, too, and move on, and it's just like, it's so fucking complex that Jim Henson's fucking giant brain was able to do this. That, like, I just, I love it. And, you know, the beginning of the movie, of course, they say, like, uh, in a movie, you know, they're, like, they're singing about they're making a movie and stuff like that. It's a and good movie. I need it on Blu-ray. But they don't have it on Blu-ray. They don't have it on Blu-ray yet. I need it, too. Uh, we just have the DVD. I got on yeah. Brevy Bree. And I saw it in theaters. I, I saw it in theaters all by myself. There was not a single other person in the theater, and the movie broke down at the third act. And I and I waited for the dude to like. I saw the like the projector go off, and I saw like a desktop screen, and the dude like ref- refresh, <laughs> refresh the movie, like reload it and continue. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, thanks, man. This uh, this whole theater is my dang self. <laughs> it was one of my favorite theater going experiences, being the only guy in the whole dang theater. But great Muppet, great Muppet caper. The Muppets are meta. This one's one of the most meta ones, and it's fucking fantastic, Brandon. You gotta agree. This is one of the best Muppet movies ever, right? It is top three. Easy. I mean, I think it's up there with the 2011 Muppets and, and the, the Muppet movie. Yeah. But I also maybe... And Christmas Muppets, Carol. Chris Carroll. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was gonna say. Uh, but I know you have, like, another one close to your heart, and that's Muppets from Space. <laughs> yeah. But Sentimental reasons only. Sentimental reasons. But this is the best... One of the best Muppet movies. It's one of the funniest. The songs are great. There are sequences that are commenting on the ridiculousness of the Muppets. Uh, Like, there was, like, Fozzie's cousin bit, which was in, like, the first, like... The the first five minutes is, like, one of, like, the funniest sequences in history in in a movie. (laughs) I'm not joking. Like, like, we were dying. We were, like... I don't remember be- the Great Muppet Keeper being this good. Me neither, because I, I didn't watch it that much as a kid. I thought it was boring as shit. I, I remember know? watching Muppets Take Manhattan more, and I didn't yeah, like too. that movie, but I, I remember enjoying it at least, you know? Yeah. Because, like, there was there was a lot in that, like, flashy. There was a lot of flashy shit in that movie. Cameos yeah. from actors I didn't know. Lots more interactions with the real world. And then the Muppet Babies. Who's going to love the Muppet Babies? <laughs> Baga, buka. Poopy, 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 <laughs> Yeah. Um, DMCA strike right now. Uh, DMCA. That, that was too good. That's too good. <laughs> but uh, I think um, 
I think this is one of the better ones. It definitely like picks apart the Muppets more. And I totally forgot about the sequence until you mentioned it. Like when you said the park sequence, I was like, oh yeah, like they do go off camera. Well, they are on camera, but like yeah. you see, like I feel like you see a boom guy or something, or like like a lighting guy. No, remember the... when he talks to Columbo? Yeah, he talks to, to yeah. Like, he, he talks to. Really, that's really interesting because everything you said is a hundred percent wrong. Who are you? What are you doing? We're shooting a movie here, you know? And yeah, he's yeah. like, oh, uh, sorry. I like how leaves. Peter Falk just showed up. He was just like there. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, yeah, oh. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's a Muppet movie. That's why. You know. Yeah. It's so good. Chris, <laughs> you haven't seen any Muppet movie, have you? I, I kind of want to watch Great the, Muppet Caper tonight. Only the first to one. Only the very first one. Uh, oh. So, like, whenever you guys talk about these movies, other than when you do happen to talk about the first one... Yeah. My brain is just like, what, what? Huh? <laughs> we invited you to the marathon. I think I was. I, it was I, during I, finals week. I, I don't blame Chris for not joining us. I, Chris, you're excused. That was. I'm a good, I'm you're a good, good student. student. We're good student. We had our film. Stu- we were writing our film studies papers, our film analysis papers, while we watched all twelve of those films. God, I remember I'll, staying I'll up to like fucking time. two a.m. finishing that because it, I was it worth it? Dist- I don't know. I kept getting distracted by those dang little puppets. They're so fucking funny. Let's talk about the Elmo those feud little fuckers. for a second. <laughs> what? The Elmo feud for a second. <laughs> Just kidding. No. We'll, Elmo we, with I, Rocco. I, I, can dedicate Rocco! A whole av- I can dedicate a whole After Hours episode to the Elmo v. Rocco feud. Let me just say. <laughs> that, that tea goes deep. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, that's my final pick. Uh, Brandon? What's your last film? I am shocked. We have never even mentioned this film on the podcast, but we're doing it today. I've got the most meta film I know. It's a Kurosami film. I picked 1990s Close Up. Hey. Oh, I forgot it's meta. What? How could you forget this is meta? That's what this movie is. Yeah. I mean, like. It's a fiction documentary hybrid. That's what Letterbox uses to like describe it, and it's like they use the people involved in the real life events to make the movie. So, what does that make this movie? Does that make it a documentary, a dramatization of those previous events? Does it make a fiction retelling, which is yeah. technically a dramatization? Could yeah. it just be like a sensationalized version of a fiction story that isn't actually real? But they use the real people involved with the story to tell it. And there are sequences where they're talking to the camera and breaking the fourth wall as if it was a documentary. But then there's like sequences in between where it's like they're telling this story and you're like, is this a film I'm watching or is this just like, I don't know. You know, it's very hard to describe, but it's so clever and engaging. And I'm so glad that I gave Kiristami another chance after watching The Wind Will Carry Us and absolutely hating that movie. I'm curious to watch it again, though, because of, like, our, like, film school education our, our, sense. Because I yeah, remember... Our, our, our brains just, like, inflated after... Yeah, we gotta, we gotta rewatch that like, movie. I'm wondering, like, <laughs> I wonder if we were just, were we just that... Were we just dumb? Or we were just that like, dumb. I'm willing to admit, guys, we were fucking stupid. We were stupid freshman babies. I feel... I, we did not It was know mixed with the audience, too. Yeah, because it's like and the audience... we watched that movie after lunch, and it's such a slow movie. And we're all tired as fuck. I and we already, that. yeah, we're just like, oh, get me out of here! I was falling asleep yeah. in the theater chair, dude. Yeah, Ugh. it's like get Gummo and the Wind Will Carry Us were too early for us as, as yeah. film students, and yeah. I think they need it. We needed to watch those films with those like visors in order to like get for me to That's love great. something like Close Up or whatever or Cache. Yeah. yeah, you know. Because both of those movies, like, very much challenge the idea of, like, what is on screen. And I thought about funny games, but I know we already did it for a final stack because that also is very impeccably meta. But oh, close-up yeah. close up is one that has an interrogation with the frame. There are, lever- like, layers to this stuff. So There's layers. layers. And that's what makes it so compelling. I need to rewatch it. Uh, it's next on my movie to buy list, but I'm not going to buy it because I've been buying a lot of Christmas gifts for myself already so <laughs> how how many blu-rays have you bought in the past two weeks brandon do you want me to count them yes please and okay. while you do that chris what do you think of close-up i know you love this film yeah the movie is very very good i was very surprised that i liked it 
Um, like Brian said, the wind will carry us kind of through Kiristami under the bus for me when I first saw it. But uh, eventually I went ahead and watched close up. Um, I watched it when I was in Hong Kong, I think. Like I was just chilling one day and I watched it. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was fantastic. I had never seen such a confusing yet also kind of like enworldening like like amalgamation between documentary and fiction it's it's such a love letter to cinema and what it could be and like all that it is and what all that it can be yeah um talks a lot about like the i don't know like there's like it really like it really does seem like dissect the kind of interconnectedness between screen and audience and the way we see things the way we view understand perceive and interpret and act upon things mm-hmm. um it's kind of like in its own way it's kind of like its own metaphysical like dissection of how the this art form works like on its on its basis level like the like the screen how it affects a person and just like it dissects that entire process of like light to eyes to brain to to action and like i think it's it was great it has been a while since i saw it but i do think i think it's probably still good um yeah i thought it was fantastic there there's I don't know. It, it blurs lines and at the same time kind of like draws lines as well in terms of what cinema is and can be. And I think that's awesome. Uh, I haven't seen a movie like this since. So, yeah, me yeah, either. Like one of one of my favorite scenes in the film is honestly like towards the beginning where he's waiting outside the house and, and there's just a can. It's just it's just a can rolling down the road and you're like you're taking in everything like Kiro Strong is he's he's able to capture all of the atmosphere. I haven't seen anyone do this, you know? Like it's almost like like how Miyazaki levels of letting you breathe and like just take in what's around you and it's deconstructing of like what the film form can do and like its potentiality. Like what having that scene and then just having that establish what the rest of this film is about and how many layers it has to like what's real what's not what's being made as a fictionist film what's being what's actually happening and it's just like it's crazy and it's so sincere too you know it's so like it's it's never felt like it's it doesn't feel pretentious you know it's no, just it doesn't. It's completely it sincere well. no it's such a it seems like such a pretentious type of story but it's complete told completely sincere you know yeah and that that's that's fucking cinema, you know. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. I... It's fucking crazy. It's so good, so good. Great fucking pick, Brandon. Nice job. Thank man. you. All right, Chris. All right. Let's wrap this up. <laughs> By the way, it's fourteen. Hey. What is? Oh, you bought fourteen Blu-rays. Or DVD? Yes, I only bought two or DVDs. DVDs. Two DVDs and 12 Blu-rays. Or 13 Blu-rays and one DVD. One of those two. Uh, But close-up and the sacrifice are, like, so tantalizing. Mm -hmm. Or Akira. Ooh. I Mm -hmm. I don't own Akira yet. I want that. I want the Steelbook. That Steelbook looks cool as well. Yeah, you get get Akira. You buy it. (laughs) You buy it. You buy it. I'll buy it. I'll buy it. I got it. All right, Chris, let's wrap this up. Give us your last fucking film. All right. Really knock our socks off, dude. My first film was self-referential meta. My second film was meta as like an entity, like in a noun form. Now I'm just going to use (laughs) it. In a noun form? In noun form. And the third (laughs) one is uh, metaphysical is the way I interpret the third one. Oh, God damn. What's this going to be? You two have not seen this movie. What? You don't know of this movie. What? Um, it is Wong Kar Wai's one and only sequel. It's 2046. What? He made a sequel? Yeah. Which is a is sequel? A se- is, it's a sequel to In the Mood for Love. Which I, know I had no idea it was. So, but I will say... But Wong Ethan doesn't care film. about that movie, so... Yeah. I think... Ethan hates <laughs> Hong Kong filmmakers. Let's just let's just oh, lay it out there. I can talk about Fallen Angels all day. His true best film. 
Oh, you're lying. lying That movie's a masterpiece. Fallen Angels is so good. But no, no, no. That's like, that's like. Wow, I hate to say it, but yeah, that's that's mid Wong for me. What? It's oh, mid Wong. It's pretty no. mid. Pretty mid Wong. No, it's not mid. <laughs> All right, tell me about twenty four six. I have no idea what this movie okay. is about. So it's it might be a bit of an oversimplification to call this movie a sequel because it's a lot more than that. Um, so twenty four six follows um, Chamo Wan, which is Tony Leung's character from In the Mood for Love, um, who is now a miserable science fiction writer crippled by the unbearable yearning that has followed him throughout his life following the events of the first film. Um, 2046 kind of depicts this like dizzying array of emotions that this character is going through in this very impressionistic form. Um, it's, it's one of the most like infectiously like, like just, it, it's so, it feels like you enter a, a dimension that's entirely built on emotion and like these kind of vivid images when you, this is easily like without question, Wong, Wong's most abstract film. It's so experimental. Um, the meta-ness of all this comes in, in that like, you know, Wong's films have always been more concerned with the, the notion of feeling rather than thinking. Um, and the film, like this film is similarly, but even further, more concerned with the ideas of knowing, emotion, identity, time and space and the malleability of our reality than creating a cohesive singular narrative. The entire movie is pretty much just kind of painting a portrait of what this guy's very emotionally disturbed state of mind is like. Um, there are these science... Like, this movie is technically a sci-fi because there are sequences where, like, he goes onto a train that takes him to the year 2046 where... He reflects back on his time when he was in love with this woman, and he and you know twenty forty six is also the year before this this like very monumental date that's going for Hong Kong's political history. But that's a whole other thing. I won't get into that. Um, yeah, this movie is, is also I will say it is very indulgent um, and certainly very alienating if you don't find yourself kind of immediately hopping onto its very uh, metaphysical uh, storytelling. Um, it's very abstract and it's very psychedelic in exploration of this, this guy. And I don't know, it's, it was this whole, it's this, it's this film that I remember watching for the first time a few years ago. And I had never seen a film that so abstractly like, like conveyed a person's emotions through nothing more than like mood and like lighting and design and just like. I don't know, and it's the fact that it's like it's a sequel to this very down to earth movie, but it's a sci fi now. But it kind of makes sense because it's like you're kind of diving into this weird like, like, alternate reality where you're in the mind of this man. It's this whole thing. Anyway, I know you guys haven't seen this movie, so I don't. Exp- I don't know Whoa. if you guys have much input, but it's this whole. We- it's weird. It's very. I weird. don't have but input, but it dang. sounds very. <laughs> it does sound actually <laughs> meta. Yeah, it does. I'm not lying. I don't I had, think you're... I had no I idea what this... I thought it was just a film that took place in the future. I was like, oh, Wong Kar Wai. I never... Didn't know he did so much... Like, he did in science fiction. But I, I didn't know it was in a sequel to In the Mood for Love. I didn't know it was, like, dealt with all this shit that sounds so cool right up my alley. Um. Wow. I, I do need to... I need to dive more into Wong Kar Wai. A, I need to rewatch Chunking and In the Mood for Love. B... I need to check this out and all this stuff. I need to do it ASAP. It's still on Criterion, right, Brandon? Uh, the Wong Kar Wai stuff? Yeah. Let me check. I have Criterion open in my other tabs. This is where it comes in handy, okay? That is true. Brandon always strapped with the links. He's always keeping tabs. He's always got the receipts. Green Acres is the place to be. Uh, Yes. <laughs> I think so. Uh, Fallen- <laughs> Actually, 2046 is the only one he- it doesn't look like is on here. No! No! What the uh, fuck? The Hand is on there. Days of Being Wild, Fallen Angels, Happy Together. Zahando. As Tears Go By. That's a good movie. Happy Together. Hwa Yang Day Nian Hwa. a gay relationship in that one, and it's- he's so convincing. Yeah, that's the only one that's not in there. 
Yeah, you might have to buy it. Fuck uh-huh. hell! How did you see it, Chris? Um, he lived Fury. in Hong Kong. I oh. lived in Hong Kong, and I also had Fury screened it. <laughs> Fuck! All right, I'm gonna have to find a way. I could probably just pirate it. You can watch Anyways, it free so on Pluto TV. Pluto TV with ads on Pluto TV. All right, that sounds cool. Damn, fellas, look at this. I thought this was gonna be a hard topic, but we all picked three different films. I look picked. I thought about picking other films like Scroforum. Scream Scruff- 2. Oh, Scroforum. Yeah, I, I had a couple as well. Like I almost uh, Duck picked, Amuck. Like, Pulp Fiction. Living you almost in picked Duck Amuck. Yeah, yeah, remember Duck Amuck? Eight and a half. Do I guess eight and a half. Yeah. Adaptation. Adaptation. Holy Motors. I was. I almost did, but I wanted to save it. I almost picked Spider Verse. Ooh, we have never. We have never picked a Spider Man movie. No. Good. We haven't. Yeah. Uh, I was gonna pick Holy Mountain. That was gonna be one of mine. Yeah. Because uh, that ending just kills. Um, all right, let's let's get to figure out this final stack here. Mm-hmm. I just fucking. Anyways, let's run her down. Let's run her down. Starting with my three films, we got Deadpool two, we got Matrix Resurrections, and The Great Muppet Caper. Brandon. Real life, stranger than fiction, close up. Chris. Uh, uh, sorry, <clears throat> F nine. <laughs> The Social Network and 2046. Okay, okay, so I'm going to throw out The Social Network entirely. I don't what? want it on here. <laughs> but <laughs> meta. I don't care. But, but Brandon. But you, could, you could use it for so many other different topics. <laughs> but yeah. meta. That's me trying to be diplomatic about this. That's fair. No, that's fair. Social Network <laughs> actually, you could use for so many. But I, I, would, I would gladly accept any of the other eight films that we chose. Because the, I feel like they all are good definitions of what meta is mm-hmm. and can be in cinema. I my big profile or what I really want is I want close up in there. Me too. I would. I have a. I have a proposal. Yeah. Okay. Hit it. I think we should do close up. Yeah. I think we should do. I I would love to throw in twenty forty six. Yeah. Um. What would be a good companion to Matrix movie? Resurrections? I think we should throw in Matrix Resurrections because be we haven't talked about like well, modern blockbusters well, and stuff like that. We have like two more artsy films, you know, that talk about film form. I think we should talk about like meta in terms of content. I could, I could yeah. get I could get behind that because also like that would be nice because it talks about the industry, which the others don't. What were your other options? I'm not gonna discount that. I think it's a good stack, but I'm just checking to see what other options are. Uh, we got Great Muppet Caper. We got F9. We got Stranger Than Fiction. Okay, not F9 because I'd rather have Matrix on there. Yeah, I'd rather have Matrix on there too. Yeah. Because um, they both serve the... And I want to say... Great Muppet I, Caper I is less so than other ones. But, yeah. But it doesn't... And there's other places moments. you could use it in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right so we're doing, we're doing... What, order? <laughs> what order what order are we gonna do it in um i want to do close-up last maybe yeah. open with 2046 yeah close-up is then, a good ender then matrix yeah, then close-up nice, close yeah and it's Wait, spread, it also, that also spreads what's the, the first R- one films, like yeah yeah what was the first one again? Sorry. 2046. 2046. Chris, does it have a good opener? Is that act like a good opener for you? Because you're the only one that's seen it's, it, so. It's pretty good. Um, I wouldn't say it's particularly special, but it's... it's well, it's the least movie. It's the least meta. It's still meta because it's a, like a sequel that's not really a sequel. So it's kind of yeah. commenting. But like The Matrix yeah. is like a direct sequel and yeah. it's like directly commenting. And then with Close Up, you got like all the meta. Because I yeah. feel like that movie is like meta central. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Yeah. Cool All right. Let's hit it. This is Stacks Official 2022. This is our first. First. This is our first. Uh, oh, wow. No, it's our second. It's our no, second first. full episode of 20. Because, no, our, we did our best of in 2022. Did, no, we didn't. No, we didn't. We recorded it in 2021 on New Year's Day, on New Year's Eve. So this is our first oh, recorded official Stacked episode of After Hours. Yeah, that was last week. But, but that I doesn't count. D- yeah, that doesn't count. Anyways, <laughs> first official episode of 2022. 
meta movies, starting with Chris, you want to kick this off? Yep. Our first film is Wong Kar Wai's uh, 2046, uh, a sequel to In the Mood for Love that transports you to this metaphysical, psycho- psychedelic world that is entirely composed of a very emotionally charged state of mind of its character. Wonderfully abstract movie. Check it out. And then our next film is uh, a very meta film in terms of modern filmmaking, in terms of franchise blockbusters, in terms of capitalist filmmaking. That is Lana Wachowski's The Matrix Resurrections, the movie that deconstructs what it means to be a story that gets manipulated by a system uh, controlled by profit and and, uh, taking advantage of other people's stories and violating people's lives. Neo is the one. <laughs> I Matrix love movies. I God, love. I love. I love movies. I love. I love movies. I love watching them, I and love, I like. And I love them. making Make. them. And our last film hey. Hey, Woo, is close up. It's <laughs> close up. <laughs> A wonderfully meta film that deconstructs everyday life but also film as a form and as a structure. You, we don't know what this film is. Is it a dramatization? Is it a different kind of film? Is it a documentary? Is it a docufiction? It's one of those. It is one. the most meta film on our list. Yes. And there it is, everyone. There is our hey. stack. This is a nice, nice stack. Um, I would like to thank everyone for listening to this little episode of Stacked, episode 70 into the new year um uh